The scripture reading this morning will be taken from Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Good morning. Spring is here. Yay. Yay. All right. guess no one's excited for spring except me. Spring means baseball. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited. It also means youth soccer. <laughs> Instructional soccer is an entertaining thing to watch. Entertaining and frustrating all at the same time, especially if you're a competitive person like me. Um. A man was in the hospital after a terrible accident, and the doctor came in and told the man, I said, well, I, we got the results back, we have some good news, and we have some bad news. I'll let you decide what you want to hear first. So the man thought about it and decided, all right, doc, give me the bad news first, as most people do. The doctor said, all right, the bad news is, is that we're going to have to amputate your legs. But the good news is, is that the guy next to you wants to buy your shoes. Good news, at least in the form of bad dad jokes, is never really the good news anyone wants. But outside of jokes, good news is often buried in a TV newscast. It comes at the end of the show. In fact, most TV producers are trained, and they will do it. If you turn on the 5 o'clock news tonight, you'll likely see it. Probably 6 o'clock tonight on Sunday. I don't remember. I don't watch the news anymore. But um, what they do is throughout the show, before each commercial break, they'll tease ahead to the feel-good story of the day, the story that is the good news. It's because of this basic human desire to hear good news because good news fills one with hope, with joy, with laughter sometimes. And, or maybe it helps them sleep better, especially knowing that there's something good out there and all the bad that's going on in the world. When someone asks you what the gospel is, do you have an answer? Can you tell them what it is? I think many of us could probably tell what the word is, give, us, give a definition of the word, But I want to break it down a little bit, show you the journey that the word gospel has taken from Greek to where it is today. And I think as we go through this, you're going to find some interesting things that pertain to our Christian walk and the gospel itself. So the Greek word uh, is spelled like this. Hopefully everybody can see that. Um, But it is uh, it is the combination of two words. All right. Uh, The Greek word, by the way, is euangelion. Okay. And there's two words that make this word up. The first is you, uh, which means not what you think. doesn't mean you. Uh, It means uh, to prosper or to be well off or or be prosperous. And the second part of the word uh, is angelos. Sound familiar? That's where we get the term angel from. Angelos means God's messenger. So together, when you combine these two words, it is a, basically a prosperous message from God. That's, that's basically the definition 
of the gospel. A message that brings prosperity. And while some may represent what that means, thinking that that message brings some kind of physical prosperity, the prosperity that it brings is really a spiritual prosperity. Something that uh, the inheritance of which we don't really get to experience until after this life. Of course, the spiritual prosperity we earn from the gospel should be also reflected in our daily lives as well. Now, when we go from the Greek into the Latin, the Latin translations, they take the U and they take it and they change it over to a V and it becomes evangelium. Sound familiar? That's where we get the term evangelism from. In fact, if you look at the word evangelism in the Greek, it is from the form of gospel. The word is euangelis teis. A bringer of a good message from God. That's what an evangelist is. Now that term is translated uh, better to expand the term in Latin to bona annotatio, which means good message, and then later would evolve further into bonus nuntius, which means good news. And today, if someone asks you the definition of gospel, many will probably say good news, right? Now, Old English would take the Latin translations and start working them into the language we all know today. Now, bonus or bona, uh, male and female forms of that word, uh, means good. And that's how it's translated into Old English, good. Now, if you notice, Old English spells it G-O-D with a long O sound. That's important. We'll come back to that. Um, Spell is Old English for message or word. That's where we get the term spelling from, to spell. So the Old English term became good spell. That was the term for euangelion, for gospel. Good spell. Now, as many faithful were gaining access to the Bible and finding the term in the Bible in reference to the message, to the good news of Christ, the term changed to God spell. They dropped the oo and when it put in an ah. So it becomes Godspell. Godspell. If you say it enough, you eventually will drop the D just as language did, and it just becomes simply the gospel. So now that we know that gospel is the good news, it means good news, what is the good news? We know that everyone craves good news. They long for the stories on the news to bring them hope and encourage them that the world isn't as terrible as it seems by giving them something better to look toward. And doesn't that also explain the gospel? So what all, what, what all is pertained to the gospel? What makes up the good news? And before we get to that, let me just better define the gospel rather than just good news. As we know, it, it means good news by definition, but how does it apply to Scripture? What is the good news of Scripture? The term encompasses the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And in that, it involves the proclamation of God's grace, which is offered through Jesus. This morning, I want to highlight some important verses for you to take note of. Things that we need to believe, to obey, and the promises that we receive if we do that. And once we do that, we'll talk about why all of that is so important. But I think that you may gain that as we go through these truths that make up the gospel message of the Bible. So first, let's look at the facts that we all need to believe. That's really small, and I apologize for that. So listen up. 
so you can hear the verses. So the facts that we, <laughs> we all need to believe. Some people see the text and the, the size of that text and see how much screen is left and say, oh boy, we got a lot of facts to go through. <laughs> true. That's true. We do. Um, so um, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the beginning of that chapter there. Um, and we're going to look at, uh, start looking at some of these facts. And the first one, uh, in the first four verses, um, we find our first fact to believe in, in order to believe in the full gospel. And last week, we talked about Isaiah's prophecy about how the, the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions. And Christ fulfilled this, of course, on the cross. Now, Paul details this in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, starting in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached you. And what was the word that he preached them? The gospel, right? So, unless you believed, of course, in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So the first thing that we need to believe is that Christ was crucified and died for our sins. But Paul continues. In verse 4, we get our next fact that we need to believe in, to believe the gospel, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is telling those, these things to the church at Corinth because of the impact that the gospel, the impact that these things that he's telling about had on him. For the good news, as he said, was something that he also received, and it literally changed his life. From the moment that Paul received the gospel, he went from a persecutor of the church, a murderer of its members, to an apostle, to a missionary, to a church planter, to a minister, an evangelist. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. And let's look at how Peter preaching to a large crowd at Pentecost, builds on this fact, evangelizing to the crowd regarding Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to look down in verse 29, starting uh, in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has, had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now, he goes on, right? Verse 33 here. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having uh, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. The next fact that we need to believe is that Christ has been exalted, is being exalted as Lord and Savior. He is sitting at the right hand of God, overseeing his kingdom that was established. Now, at hearing these words, the crowd was cut to the heart. 
and being convicted by the good news that Peter brought, they wanted to know what they needed to do. We'll get to that in a second, probably longer than a second. But uh, if you're not using your ribbon in your Bible, go ahead and put it here, because we're going to be coming back to Acts chapter 2 a little bit later. Um, And once you do that, turn over to Acts chapter 17. And while you're doing that, I want to... uh, I want to read one more scripture pertaining to the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, where Paul writes that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and that he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day. That resurrection and why we believe in it will be our focus next week as we continue this series. But after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven where he took his seat at the right hand of God. But the gospel doesn't end there. The gospel accounts do, but the gospel doesn't end there. Because another key fact to consider and believe in regarding the, new, uh, regarding the good news, regarding the gospel, is the good news that Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to bring judgment. Look down at Acts chapter 17 at verse 30. This is uh, Paul speaking at the um, Areopagus, which if you remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, is the uh, Council of Athens where many who were present uh, were religious folks, but they all, of course, worshipped false, false idols. Um, And Paul says, uh, down in verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Paul alludes to the fact that Jesus has been appointed for this role. Now turn over quickly, if you will, over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And, and we're gonna, I want you to take note of what Paul writes regarding this day of judgment, this day that Jesus is going to come back and, and bring judgment on the world. And it's something that, that as we read this, for those who do believe, this should be encouraging. But for those who do not believe... This should be terrifying, all right? So listen to verse, uh, starting in verse 7, uh, going through verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Notice there in verse 8 that destruction is coming on this day when Christ returns for those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only... Not only does the gospel contain facts that we need to believe, 
there's something more that's contained within the gospel that also needs to be obeyed. Commands that all who do not desire uh, to, as Paul wrote, if they don't desire to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, then this is, these are commands that they need to obey. In the first of these commands, we heard in our scripture reading this morning, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, the first command is, whoever believes, we must believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to believe that, we must believe in Jesus as being the Son of God, as being the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And to do that, we have to believe in the inspired Word of God. We have to believe in the Bible, because that's where we learn about Jesus. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ, or the Word of God. But of course, we also must believe in God Himself, the author and creator. So belief is a command that we must obey. We must believe first. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, something I'm sure you have all heard before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And again, how does one believe? How does one come to faith? Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now, verse 17 over there, I just mentioned, says hearing, uh, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I want us to look at verses 9 through 10 here, where we find the next command that we must obey. We must confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has risen him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice that the two commands are joined together there in verse 10. In the heart is where belief comes from, and confession comes from the mouth. It is spoken. It is to be said out loud for others to hear. Philip asks the Ethiopian eunuch a question of confession in Acts chapter 8 which the man answered, and then they went down to the water, and the eunuch was baptized. Now turn over to Luke uh, chapter 4, or sorry, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be in verse 46 there. But we've talked about hearing, we've talked about believing, we've talked about confessing, and God's Word includes commands that... Uh, of, of something else that we must do before we are baptized. Of course, baptism um, is kind of the culmination of all of this in which we are united with Christ, and we'll get to that. Um, but something that has to happen before we're baptism is something that was preached from the beginning of Jesus' ministry on the, in the first sermon ever preached to the Church of Christ on the day of Pentecost, and it is still preached today. We must repent of our sins. And we heard this earlier from Paul's message to the Areopagus, where he said in verse 30 of Acts chapter 17, says he commands all people everywhere to repent. Jesus, in Luke's account, in chapter 24, verses 46 through 47, Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's pretty much Luke's account of the Great Commission. Right? That's, that, is the, that is the Great Commission in a nutshell, to proclaim this message to all nations. 
Jesus says that repentance comes before the forgiveness of sins. It's a requirement. It's a command that we must heed in order to gain access to His atoning blood. Peter declares this as Jesus commanded here. Jesus said, go and proclaim these things to all nations. And, and Peter declares this. He says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter proclaimed the same thing one chapter back. And if you still got your ribbon back in Acts chapter 2, go ahead and flip back there. Acts chapter 2. And when you get there, go back down to verse 36 where we left off. Remember, Peter had been preaching that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, as the prophets said the Messiah would be. And then in verse 36, he declares that God has uh, made the man that they crucified Jesus, both Lord and Savior. And because of hearing this, they were cut to the heart, verse 37 says. And they asked Peter what they needed to do. And Peter said, repent. And that's it, right? That's, that's where the verse ends. No, of course not. It doesn't stop with repentance. Because the next command that we must obey follows directly after that. Now when they heard, that they, uh, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. We must obey the command to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. For Jesus Himself also commands this, as we heard in our scripture reading this morning. These are the words of Christ that encouraged Morgan and Chris several months ago to obey the gospel, where Jesus says in verse 15 and 16 again, in Mark chapter 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. doesn't get much simpler than that. But it also doesn't end there. Our baptism isn't the stopping point of our belief. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So once we've obeyed the gospel, our faith, must, or our faith and our belief must continue. And with those words in both Revelation chapter 2 and Mark chapter 16, we see that there are promises offered for those who believe and obey, the crown of life, as Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, points to the gift of eternal life that was promised to those who believe. These are from Jesus' words himself in, Act, or in John chapter 3, verse 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And through the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39 that we just read, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, another promise. This, dear church, is why the gospel of Christ is truly good news. All of it is important. And I hope that why it's important has kind of stood out this morning, but as we close out our time together, let me point directly to why the gospel is important. Why it's important that all should believe and why it's important that all should obey. Jesus wanted every person in the world to hear the gospel. He proclaims as much in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, and as we read earlier in Luke chapter 24. This is what He gives in the, in the Great Commission. It's what He tells His disciples. He says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
as Mark, cre- uh, as Mark recounts. And Matthew expands it in his account. And he explains the contents of the gospel and the commands that Jesus wants to, the world to obey. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If it was so important to Jesus, if it was so important to Jesus that these things be heard, then it must also be important for all of us who believe as well. We need to make sure that we are evangelizing. Because remember, that means to deliver or spread the good news. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of the gospel. It's to share it with everybody else who's willing to hear. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. As we've covered extensively, salvation is available to everyone who believes and obeys. Paul covers this beautifully here in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for, sal- of sal- uh, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our salvation comes from God through belief in and obedience to the gospel. Not only that, but Paul adds an important angle to this teaching that this truth, this hope, this good news makes him eager to preach the gospel. He is eager to to get out and share it with everyone who hears. We talked this morning about Paul sitting in the jail in Philippi. And while he's in jail, because of his preaching the gospel, he's still preaching the gospel to the jailers and the people around him and writing letters to the churches, giving them hope, giving them good news. He is not ashamed of the gospel, even though it put him in chains and ultimately led to his death. So are you eager to share the good news? Or are you ashamed? And finally, as we covered earlier, Jesus is coming back. And condemnation awaits anyone who does not believe and does not obey the gospel. Eternal destruction, God's vengeance. That doesn't sound like good news. But the good news is that in Christ we can avoid it. The consequences of not believing and not obeying are grave. So grave, then why would we not obey the gospel if we truly believe in God? If we truly believe in God and His Word and His Son and in the good news of salvation through Christ, why would we not obey? Now because of what it meant or what it means still to Jesus and His apostles, what it means to those of us who have believed and have obeyed, and what it means for those who do not believe and obey, because of all those things, we should be eager and excited to share this good news to all who are willing to listen. I have an unwavering belief in the gospel message, and I consider it a blessing to get to stand up here every week and proclaim it. 
Now this morning, we want to offer up the opportunity as we do each time we gather for anyone who wishes to obey the gospel. If you're here this morning and you've not yet obeyed the gospel in the manner that we have talked about, I want you to ask yourself, why not today? Why not? What's holding you back from reconciling to God? If it's sin, if it's the things of this world, if it's something that you have in your life that's sinful, that's shameful, that you know is wrong, and that I can't, I can't turn away from that, I can't give my life to Christ yet because this, I, I, still, I still want this. So we talked about in our class this morning in Philippians that being a Christian means that we are a slave to Christ, that we are, we are free from sin, but we are not free from consequences, we are not free from responsibility. What's holding you back this morning? I implore you that if, if it is sin that is keeping you, keeping you back, then repent. As Peter said, to turn your back so that your sins may be blotted out and turn yourself to God. If you have built faith based on the hearing of God's word and you believe in the gospel, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you desire to confess your faith, to repent, of your sins and go down in the liquid grave to be united with Christ and raised to a newness of life. Don't wait any longer. You can be baptized today for the remission of your sins. And that to me is good news. If you desire more study about this decision or if you have any other need that the church can assist you with this morning, now is the perfect time for you to come forward while we stand and sing.